Happy Jacks RPG Podcast, a roundtable discussion that's a mix of friendship, humor, unbridled enthusiasm, and tabletop RPG topics sent in from around the world. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Season 31, Episode 20 of the Happy Jacks RPG Podcast, and uh, happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. I mean... If you're listening to this later, it's not St. Patrick's Day anymore, but I hope you had a good St. Patrick's Day. And if you're prognosticating this from the past, we hope you're going to have a happy St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, that too. My name is Kimmy. I'm Nick. We are expecting some other people to join us tonight, so we'll see. But the L.A. traffic is not great. St. Patrick's Day night, and also the L.A. marathon is is nigh. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, L.A.'s a mess. But anyway, in today's episode... Eric from Oregon talks about ways to include blind players and GMing as a blind GM. Erica Odd asks how to avoid oppression tourism in games. And Rose asks what rules we always skip. If you'd like to contribute a question or story to the show, you may email us at you may, you may email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. We, we will allow it. We will allow it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. And we've been getting some really thought-provoking, really great emails lately. I'm very... Oh, good. I'm very pleased with you. You may send more. But yeah, it's, it's been very good. Announcements. The Happy Jacks Discord will be hosting the very first game days, spelled D-A-Z-E, because we have to be different, on April 8th. It's a fun, casual day for members of the Happy Jacks community to run and play games together. There's currently five games posted and looking for players, but more will be up soon. And a lot of people are like, kind of like, oh, maybe I'll run this, and maybe I'll run this. There's a whole chat about it, and people are like, I've got like eight different games I want to run. Which one will I do? So, uh, yes. come, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So come check it out if you're a fan of safe gameplay and want to try some new games. It's very exciting. And if you want to join the Discord, it's happyjacks.org slash Discord. And if I do say so myself, like we have an amazing Discord community. Like, I think so, yeah. I am part of a lot of Discords, and ours is just so chill and happy. Like, we have an amazing mod team that never has to really do very much. We're like, hey, why don't you post this in this channel? It's a little off topic is like our hardest work usually, right? which is fantastic for a Discord that has like a little over 500 people on it. So anyway, you're awesome. Discord, great. There seems to be a little bit of a problem. This isn't for the podcast listeners. I apologize. This is a video problem, but the text-to-speech seems to be a little bit wonky, and I'm wondering if maybe if we speak a little bit slower, it might help. That would be nice. we have a propensity yes. to speak quickly. You should be also able, if you're watching live on Twitch, to be able to adjust the closed caption settings by clicking the little closed caption-y thing and adjusting the size. I think you can do, that's what the, it said, that you could adjust whether you saw it or not, and also the size, and we'll see. It'd be nice to just always be able to adjust the size on everything. Yeah. Like I adjust and I can fit in those paint. Never mind, not all the time. Never mind. I'm gonna stop. <laughs> anyway, and Erica Odd is one of our mods, and she says it's the easiest mod job I've ever done speaking back to Discord. So, all right. And let's see, our indie designer of the month is Mo of Ashy Feet Games. Ashyfeet.com is the web address. He is on his way here. In traffic, who's going to talk about himself a little bit more, but we'll just do that whenever he shows up. The game we're talking about of his that we are featuring this week is the Mystery Machine Gang. It's a clever system based on belonging outside belonging mechanics that perfectly represents the zaniness of a Scooby-Doo cartoon. Now, Mo, that's a little bit ego-boo there. Let us decide whether it's a clever system. (laughs) I actually stole that from a review of the game. So it's oh, not actually. Okay. Yeah, so okay. it's, it's. Well, then never mind. Yeah. But we can still like give him shit for that when he gets here. Because if you're late, you get to be made fun of. That's right. Um, or if you don't show up, you get to be, you get made, to be fun made fun of. of. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Speaking of. Speaking of. If you are looking for a zero prep story game with the feel of a Sunday morning cartoon from the 80s and 90s, you can give it a whirl. You can pay what you will on ashyfeet.itch.io and. Amazing timing 
Here is the man himself, Mo. Hey, hey, I'm Mo. Uh, <laughs> they say I design games. <laughs> Thank you. you for honoring me. Yeah, it feels great to be recognized and stuff. Be our um, March Indie Designer of the Month. Woo! <laughs> Sorry, I just ran across five cities. And I'm happy. And yeah. I'm Jack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we were just bringing up the Mystery Machine Gang. Yes. We talked about Shibuya Nights. Yes. It was our first one we talked about. So each week yeah. we've been talking about a different one. Yeah. And then last week we talked about your Whole game. Whole Station. Yeah. Whole Fest Station. I so, was like, <laughs> they're talking about me. Yeah. <laughs> thing. Yeah. There, people really liked Whole Fest Station and that, like that idea. I am very proud of that one. I had a co-designer with it, but yeah, it works and it's good. Nick, will you point that at oh. his face? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mo can do it. All right. Yeah. He's, and, he's a professional. Yeah, he's, he can do it. I think the thing... Ooh, amazing. <laughs> so this is a family show. No, it's I not. It's not. <laughs> I think the thing that when you first look at all your games, because you, you are actually our first indie designer of the month who's been able to make it to a show. <laughs> so I keep asking people who are like, in Japan, mm -hmm. or like, oh, oh no, I can't do... You know, that's like midnight my time and stuff like that. You're like, okay. Or family emergencies. Or yeah, you know. could, couldn't make it. So we're very excited you're here. I'm excited. Yes. The interesting thing about your game is a lot of times when you look at a designer's kind of catalog that they've worked on, you can see like themes or settings or things that they are very into that kind of inspire their work. Your games, I've noticed don't seem to have you pick different systems you pick very different settings like when i don't want to ask the question how do you get your ideas because mm -hmm. i'll be mocked and it's a terrible <laughs> dumb question but from a warehouse in san antonio yeah. <laughs> but when you are looking for ideas like do you have a list of a bunch of ideas already is it something where you get an idea and it just kind of like sticks with you and like how do you decide that something is worth putting through the process of actually creating a game as my um, City of Mist AP friends <laughs> are quite aware, mm -hmm. I am very crunchy, systemy kind of, I like how mechanics do work. And like, sometimes I see a mechanic and I'm like, wow, that'll really sing in this particular situation. Mm -hmm. And that situation usually comes with a genre and it's just like, yeah, find it and figure it out. I was playing a, a buddy of mine's game, uh, Belonging Outside Belonging Game. And he had a comp combat mechanism to it. And that's not normal to belonging mm -hmm. outside belonging. And it wasn't like D&D &D combat. It wasn't like real combat, but it just allowed you to have some friction. And we finished the game. I was like, dude, this would be awesome as Scooby-Doo. And so like I went and made it as Scooby-Doo. <laughs> but it was just that, that whole thing where it's like, Mystery Machine Gang, you have to do something as part of like the cliche of the genre in order to like have a superpower. So if you're playing Thelma, you have to break your glasses. And once <laughs> you break your glasses, now you like have super insight into things and you can kind of deduce things and introduce new facts and all this other stuff. Oh, that's amazing. And so the goal is to make people do things that are totally goofy and fun. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's, that's Scooby-Doo. I mean, it's a bunch of games, but like that's the first one that came to mind. So I made it. That is awesome. And I love that it's something that's such a touchstone of popular culture, but something for the most part is kind of like n overlooked. There's a lot of like, I feel like there's like a million, like My Little Pony with the serial number. Not I'm writing yeah. one too, so I'm not going to, I'm not <laughs> knocking it. It's not a bad idea. But like with the serial numbers and there's like a couple like He-Man, She-Ra type ones. Like I feel like all those things. And I feel like the Scooby-Doo gang is one that's kind of. Uh, it's kind of an untouched property. Yeah, exactly. For, well, for RPGs. I mean, yeah. it's kind of dated. You know, True. and they the, the remakes haven't really got it right. Yeah. And so I appreciate that my 10 year old, I try to get him to watch Scooby Doo and he's mm -hmm. just like, yep, nope. <laughs> 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 and, you know, it may just be one of those things like Abbott and Costello that yeah. just kind of get fade further and further. Oh, man. Out of the zeitgeist. I had a moment like that. I was hanging out with a friend of mine who's quite a bit like a lot younger. And she and I were like drinking and catching up. And it was one of those things where we were kind of ordering like bad, like, or drinks that we weren't super like familiar with or into. So I was like, oh, hey, can I have a Scooby snack? And she's like, yeah. yeah. She's like, why is it called that? 
And I was and just Timmy like, crumbled to dust and blew away. <laughs> I immediately became like the old lady from Titanic again, where I just was like, oh. But did you stand and pontificate on why this was culturally important <laughs> and possibly still relevant today? <laughs> Probably. I don't remember a whole lot of that yeah. evening, but I remember that moment. I think I did. And she liked it. It was pretty good. So uh, it was just, oh, man. I think I've only just outgrown that phase, and a lot of people are grateful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, like, I like Forged in the Dark, the Blades in the Dark system. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, a couple of my games are made on that. And the thing that really stuck with me when I first read the system was how it was too mean. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to make a game, Shibuya Knights, and I didn't want it to be so mean. Mm -hmm. I wanted you to want to swing from the chandelier. And if swinging from the chandelier means you can die, you won't do that. But then I got really into how mean the system was. Mm-hmm. And I was like, where are scenarios, game situations where you want it to be mean? And I was like, alien invasion. Yeah. Aliens invade. If it's not comedic, you want there to be high stakes. Yeah. And you want the system to kind of be very risk heavy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's why I came up with another game you haven't talked about yet, but you have another week. <laughs> Next week. <laughs> Make sure you like slip it because I was like looking at I just like every week. I'm like, okay, I'll pick that one. I'll pick that one. So make sure you tell me which one you're talking we'll do, about. We'll okay. Do. But hi, how are you happy Jackers doing? Good. We're happy good, to have good. you. I'm glad you clarified that belonging outside belonging is a mechanic because I just thought that was more of a, this is a game about outsiders coming together. But now I can be like, oh, that's actually a, it's a game system. A, a game system yeah, that yeah. I can look at. It's a game system. It's GMless, right? It, it can be GMless yeah. and it has really, it's very graceful in what mm-hmm. it does, and it does it very well. But you could very easily look at it and say, there's nothing here. Yeah. It's very much about trading, putting yourself in a bad situation so you can have advantage in another situation later. Yeah. It's interesting because it's another branch on kind of the PBTA family tree. Mm-hmm. So it's like Blades in the Dark and Forged in the Dark went one direction, and Belonging Outside Belonging went like the opposite direction. Right. So right. it's like these two, they all kind of sprung from someone wanting a little bit more mechanics and a little bit more edge in PBTA and someone wanting less. Like So, yeah. Gotcha. So it's very interesting. Like, Belonging Outside Belonging sometimes doesn't have numbers. Yeah. Sometimes doesn't have dice. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't have a GM. It's like almost exactly the opposite of like Forged in the Dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a token system, right? When yeah. certain things happen, you get a token and then exactly. you can use it to further the narrative gotcha. and stuff later. Okay. It's very, very interesting. I have not gotten to play. I, ha- I own a couple that I've backed on Kickstarter and stuff like that. I'm supposed to own them eventually. <laughs> They're in the mail. Yes. <laughs> or I am never going to knock someone for having a late Kickstarter, <laughs> having been in that life. So I'm sure I'll get it eventually. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. And you've actually been on Happy Jacks twice today. <laughs> yes. So you were in our... Uh, City of Mist, our AP earlier today. Mm-hmm. So that's going really well. I have an army of Frankensteins. Yeah. It's a thing. Lloyd is so brave running it for you all. <laughs> like he's, but he's yeah. amazing. He's so good. Like oh when my you're gosh. amazing, you could be brave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I aspire to be as amazing as Lloyd is at GMing someday. It's just, it's just like mwah, amazing. Just rolling with everything. So good. Anyway, mailbag number one. Does anyone want to read this? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll go ahead. I can read. We'll split it. Or, yeah, no, no, I, I got it. Say when. I got it. I have a beard to uh, lubricate my throat. It'll be fine. <laughs> hey there, happy jackstraps. Sorry, my creativity is failing me, which happens to be indirectly what this email is all about. I've been blind since birth. I discovered TTRPGs thanks to finding out about Dungeons and Dragons through the movie E.T., The Extraterrestrial. Without getting bogged down in daily details, which have little to do with what I actually want to discuss. I had a machine which could translate print into tactile shapes on my fingertip, and I got a hold of the D&D basic set, and the rest was history. I've had to adapt to playing RPGs since day one. The only dice which were available with tactile representation up until about a decade ago were D6, so I couldn't use polyhedral. Consequently, I only played D&D long enough to discover games which use percentile dice, and eventually D6. With percentile dice, I just brailed the numbers 0 through 9 on small scraps of paper, and put them in a container. Shake them up, pull two numbers out, Mm. and whichever order my fingers read them in, that was the result. But that got unwieldy when dealing with polyhedral. Six or seven containers are a pain to carry around. Mm -hmm. I was so ecstatic when West End Games released their Ghostbusters game because it used D6. I could actually GM, and I did. 
I've transcribed many charts and tables for many games into Braille, and I've been running various games off and on for nearly 40 years now. Thanks to first apps and eventually 3D printers, polyhedral are no longer a problem for me. So now I'm ready to tackle either D&D or some old school variant. Unfortunately, I've run into a challenge I haven't yet found a way to overcome. Finally, here's my question. How would you handle dungeons and or maps if you can't use maps at all? Up to this point, the games I've run are story-driven enough that so maps weren't a big deal. Star Wars, Ghostbusters, Pulp Adventure games, etc. But even with these games, there are adventure modules I bought over the years, which I had every intention of running, until reading them enough to find out that a huge chunk of the adventure involved exploring a derelict spaceship or exploring the Museum of Death. Even the back in the day, my print-reading machine couldn't do much with maps. And now, with that machine being obsolete, I'm left with what my computer or phone can translate into speech. Modules often have great descriptions of rooms, and I thought I might just put them together in whatever order makes sense to the story. But that feels very railroady. It's weird. I've run games with car chases and things that normally require maps, and we are able to hand-wave those aspects through theater of the mind. But when it comes to exploration, for some reason, the mapping aspect feels more important. I've even had times where I realized I had no idea what something should look like. After I panicked, I desperately asked my players, what does a typical Santa Claus at the mall scene look like? I knew the obvious things, but I wasn't sure what the layout might be, whether there was a counter of some sort involved, how did the line of children fit into the rest of the surrounding mall. To my surprise and delight, my players didn't ridicule me or get up and leave in disgust or anything like that at all. They gave me several ideas. I picked the one I liked most, and we continued playing out the invasion of the jetpack flying yetis. Yetis? Whatever is the plural form. I just can't figure out how to incorporate a similar idea into exploration. I've even thought about giving the pre-made map to the players and having them tell me where they end up as they go, but I worry that maps meant for the GM contain spoilers for the players. There's got to be a way to overcome this hurdle. I'm probably overthinking it because that's just what I tend to do. I'd love to get input from you all. My creativity, as I said above, is failing me. Thanks for reading this email. I know it's ungodly long and not the best organized. I've been champing at the bit to get this sent, so my goal was to write it out as quickly as possible. I wanted to give some of my background for context, and perhaps I overdid it. Still, I hope you found it interesting. Keep up the amazing work. Y'all are a huge source of inspiration. Eric from Oregon. Thank you, Eric. And thank you also for joining the Discord. I know you did that fairly recently, and we appreciate you being there. Eric is awesome. Eric is awesome. (laughs) I mean, we we have pretty awesome community. It's just amazing. But I was actually super inspired when I got this question. So thank you, Eric, for being brave enough to write it. It shows a lot of bravery and vulnerability to talk about something that I feel like a lot of people are nervous to like confront head Mm -hmm, on. mm -hmm. And this is something when I was working with Decima was something that, that came right to the forefront. There's accessibility in gaming that does a, I think it's quarterly zine that you can fund on Kickstarter. And I've been doing that for a number of years. And Jacob, who runs that, did my accessibility proofreading and stuff for Decima, the PDF part, obviously. And then there's a lot, I just learned a lot through that whole process of ways to make games more accessible and things like that. Even as a teacher, they teach you very specific things to make, this is how you make documents more accessible. This is how you make, like designing full games is a very different headspace to Mm -hmm. come from. Mm -hmm. So first off, I think I'm going to be super biased with this because ever since I, I design Decima, I actually ask questions all the time as IGM. And those of you who are following Unsung Tales, I literally, every scene, I'm asking questions. How is that making you feel? What does it look like? What do you notice when you go in this room? And it actually, it seems super deep, but it's very lazy GMing. And it takes a lot of the work off of you as a GM. (laughs) (laughs) It, It puts, you know, it really kind of like, equalizes things. So I would encourage you to keep doing that because it's something that I've added to my toolbox as a GM. And I just keep leaning harder and harder into it with amazing results, like incredible results. My table, no matter whether it's like, what do you notice? What do you feel here? Whatever I'm asking, they always will add something incredible that I would never have thought of. Even with One Ring, like I'm a total Tolkien nerd and I know a bunch of stuff. And I'll ask Jay or Dave who are like, I saw the movies one time. And they add amazing things that just are just incredible. And they just send you off in amazing directions. So keep asking that. And you don't have to do it from a a perspective of, 
I don't know what a Santa Claus looks like. What does it look mm-hmm. like? You know, do it from a perspective of what do you see? Right. What do you, you know, and ask like the characters, like Bill the Barbarian, what do you notice first when you walk into this room? Or Sally the Sorceress, can you, I don't know, I'm like totally alliteration right now. <laughs> like, can you describe the room to us? A is for artificer, B yeah. is for barbarian. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. Things like that. I think that is absolutely a legitimate and like really great way to engage players and take off some of the the pressure on GMs. Yeah, you're hitting on a thing that I think is stylistically some people's bag and some people like other people are like, that's not, I'm, I'm a narrative GM. I'll tell you what you see. Mm-hmm. And I think I got back into gaming about six years ago after gaming for about what, maybe 20 years. And like people, GMs were asking players what they saw. That just seemed like, <laughs> wait, 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 you're supposed to know. <laughs> Didn't you do your homework? Didn't yeah. you write up this thing? And it sounds like this is, Eric is asking questions because he saying he doesn't know, but you're saying like, wait a minute, this is a whole new style of thing you can approach. Right. Use, style and use approach. The, use that. That you can use and it can totally benefit you. What struck me is kind of the question of what's the game? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes the game is getting to the end of the maze or or cavern or dungeon and getting the treasure. But sometimes the game is the feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes the game, it, the fun is the friends we made along the way. Yeah. No, I want the treasure. <laughs> well, well but, but that's the second thing that came up for me. Like, this is the mountain Eric wants to climb. Eric wants to be able to do this particular thing. And yeah, like, I, I'm sorry, I'm reading this cold. Okay. I feel like I want to think about it. It really feels like something he could approach from a, a tactile perspective. Mm-hmm. And kind of like find manipulatives to like kind of build almost a little maze, maybe with Lego or something like that that doesn't move as easily. So you can kind of go back and remember. And that way you're still in control of the space and you also have like a reminder, Yeah, you know, when you're at the table behind your GM screen, as it were. Yeah. The other thing that I've seen is obviously not all games do this, but a lot of games and especially third-party content for like DM's Guild for Dungeons and Dragons or some of the other RPG, drive through RPG stuff will have these as well. But some games will include player map packs mm-hmm. so that you could mm-hmm. hand all your players something that didn't have any of the extras, the little surprises you want to throw along the way. But they could see, oh, this is what the abandoned farmhouse looks right, like right, or right. this is what this ship looks like before you start adding your waterlogged zombies right, or whatever right, you're right, going right, to do right. there. So those might be things to look at. I know that I've definitely seen some. I wish that I had examples that I could shove out there, but it, they they do exist for some things. Yeah, I've seen that. One thing I was thinking, you might have to have someone help you with it at first. They have uh, tiles that you can put together mm-hmm. to make maps, mm-hmm. and you just buy a whole set of them. They're mm-hmm. generic. Like mm-hmm. there's like a dungeon or this, and like each one's a little room. There's different sizes. You can get like little ones, or you can get like the bigger ones that like have whole rooms. And I would say maybe get a set of those. I don't know if there are any that have like raised edges or things like that, that you would be able to feel. But if you take some like uh, fabric paint and you have someone help you do that, you just have to do it one time for the tiles. And you could actually, I've done it with students who had visual impairment for other things where it's like a solid line is like the edge and then little dots are kind of like the inside things when we're doing graphing and things like that. So that way they can kind of feel where the graph is going. So they know like, okay, the little dots are the grid and then the solid lines are the X and Y axis. Oh, neat. So things like that. So you might be able to have someone help you do that with, if you buy a set of these tiles, I've seen so many of these tiles everywhere and they come in different shapes. Some of them are square and they snap together like puzzle pieces. Um, Usually it's not like actual puzzle pieces. We have to match them, but they all snap together in whatever, whatever configuration you want. So you might be able to do something like that and then keep that and then just decide, hey, what order do you want them in? Mm-hmm. So you're like, okay, you're all starting on this tile. And then when they get to the next tile, you could just, you know, if you have them in a stack numbered or however you'd want to organize them, snap on the next one. Or even let your players be like, okay, you walk into the next room. What does it look like? And have like an assortment out and they get to pick which one's next. That doesn't work as well if you're doing like a set adventure like it right. sounds like what you're doing. 
but you could then have titles that were close to like or similar to what you wanted and what was being described in the next room. That's a really neat idea. Yeah, yeah. But the point I was gonna pull up is about like like there are companies like Dwarven Forge and whatever that mm-hmm. make 3D terrain. Mm-hmm. For me, those are prohibitively expensive. Yeah. And so that is, while that is a solution, like I really liked your idea about the Lego, partly because I'm a huge Lego nerd, Mm -hmm. but because they do snap together and Lego is relatively inexpensive, especially if you're not building the whole castle, you're just putting together sort of an outline of what the rooms look like. Mm -hmm. And it's already in like a nice gridded shape. And, you know, you could do this with little pieces Mm -hmm. and literally just kind of have almost a Braille map that only you access mm-hmm. and you describe it to the rest of the table. Like it doesn't have, like I love the Dwarven Forge stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't have room to yeah. put, to oh, store yeah. stuff. All that stuff. You know, nor can I afford it yeah. uh, with all of my other expensive hobbies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. It sounds like they've done a lot of theater of the mind though. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it sounds like that he really wants something that they can all see together. Right. So finding something that you could do that on the table. Mm. And I mean, the cool thing about, I mean, they have a lot of different types of glues and paints and things that keep a raised, like, tactile edge to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like puff paint. I yeah, puffy paint. Yeah, the fabric puffy paint is the cheapest and easiest one. You can find it literally everywhere on craft, craft stores, Walmart, everywhere has it. And if you put it there, it's wet for a while. It takes a while to dry, but then it keeps, like, that edge. A lot of grandmas used it on, like, T-shirts back in the day. <laughs> like, they'd, like... Like, I don't know, but my mind... Today I learned I was a grandma back in the day. No, no, no. I mean, I've used it for so much stuff for cosplay and stuff, too. But, like... (laughs) I have. Like, you probably... Like, my first experience with it was my grandma would, like, buy, like, like a kitten picture, like, on fabric and, like, cut it out and, like, iron it on a T-shirt and then, like, edge it in puffy paint. Okay. And, like, do little designs around it with puffy paint. So I have, like, a very visceral, like, 80s kid memory of, like... My grandma making me all these shirts, and you had Aww. to wash them really carefully. And I didn't really want to wear them to school, but then I had to wear them every time my grandma came. <laughs> they were very cute. Um, but yeah, so that's a whole thing. So that's one, but it does keep that kind of raised quality to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it comes in a bunch of different colors and stuff like that. And that wouldn't necessarily matter to you, but whoever's helping you do them might use different colors for this right. is a solid edge. This is whatever. Oh, and uh, if you're playing over Zoom, that's you like have a, a lot more options. Yeah, there's. I mean, yeah. I feel like at times I feel like there's more options, but it's also hard when you're doing something like on the fly, like D and D. So I'm not sure. I haven't played online a whole lot with games that require maps. I don't play a lot of games that require maps anyway. But uh, there's a whole style of D and D and Pathfinder that are not on the fly. Yeah, you know, it's like you buy the book, you run the adventure in the book. You tell your friends not to read the book, <laughs> you know. But and, like, are, but what are the accessibility options that come with? Right, it? I that's, don't know that's that what they, I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I mean, that's my big thing with like D and D Beyond. Right. I've never seen. Right. I've never seen any that. I, mean, yeah, I, I could don't be know wrong. That, I don't know that screen readers would be able to. Parse yeah, that not well. really. Yeah, like, mm. because screen readers need very specific like text types and things, and it needs to be different than the background. But I feel like, I don't know about D&D Beyond or Roll20, but you could prep with a friend who wasn't in the game and say, hey, I need a map that does this. I need a map that does that. Yeah, but I think that that's also kind of, I mean, that is great, but that's also not true accessibility. I think that that's like having, the thing with having someone help with the tiles, yes, that is, Mm -hmm. you know, someone needing to help. But then once the tiles are made, they're there always and you can always use them. Honestly, I'm like Like now, on that analogy, if you have someone build a ramp for you so that you can use yeah. it, then you can just use the ramp. Yeah. It's not you are you have it has become accessible to you. So mm. if you need something that's ongoing and doesn't require the addition of other things. And it seems it's something that I know different communities have been calling out for for some time. I've heard that forgery is kind of like they're sort of still like in development and stuff. I I've heard that they've like been sort of messing with things like that, but I haven't heard anything solid that's mm. really reliable yet. So unfortunately, like, well, I feel like this is something we should definitely, like, should be a bigger focus. Yeah. And unfortunately, like most things, it's not. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I was, <laughs> the behind baseball here was, Kimmy was actually looking up D&D Beyond accessibility, and I wrote down, maybe try oh. VTT Virtual. accessibility yeah. as a broader term. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for kind of, yeah, 
helping me understand like what actual accessibility means because I'm all about planning for the trip and you're talking about how Eric can sustainably do this on a regular basis. Yeah. Eric just happens to be in the chat right now. So oh, he's hi, clarifying. Yeah. <laughs> he's saying that they're, I just scrolled and I lost it. My big fear is there'll be a monster or something they run away from. I can't remember how they got there and, and they run their chase back the way they ca- right. came. If that's your biggest worry, so you don't need, actually need an, he just says, I don't necessarily need an actual map. I just need a way to make it feel like they're exploring rather than just the encounters willy-nilly. Gotcha. Okay. I have a little bit more help for you then. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what I would do is I would, hopefully this would work. I've done something similar sometimes with students previously where they had different things prepared on different tabs. Like we, I use Google Docs for my students. If you have another program that does similar, you could probably do the same thing. And like they actually have different things on each page and then in each tab. And that makes it really easy for them to scroll between. If you have a program that can jump easily between headers or paragraphs that you can use very quickly, that might work too. But the different tabs in like a browser are fairly easy to navigate between at least for my student, they were able to do that and have the rooms described on these tabs right. and have it just, and each one is named a specific thing that you can hear and then just put them in the order that they've walked through the rooms. Right. So then if they have to go back, then you, you start at the other side <laughs> and that, that that's one way to kind of keep track of it in like kind of compartmentalized way that you were then able to kind of move around too. Mm-hmm. I was kind of thinking of something like that using index cards because mm-hmm. I tend to be low tech in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But if you did the same thing, if you had your notes on index cards and then put them in the order that they have gone through the rooms and that way you can go back through the order the same way. Yeah. But the tabs probably makes a lot more sense and is probably easier without having to create all these notes. <laughs> well, I mean, it also depends. Like if you have like you know, a Braille writer that's able to print out paper very simply. Like some people, like I function a lot better when I'm running games with paper stuff in front of me. I don't know why, because with nothing else, is that the case? But I like being able to grab things and have things right in front of me or lay things out in a certain order in a way that I'm not able to do unless I have like five computer screens and I don't. Right, right. No, I I like to have the tactile experience. I always try and take my notes Mm -hmm. in analog because I remember them better or I have things that I can to be honest, I also have things I can fidget with that right, I don't need right, to. <laughs> right, right, right. But yeah, if it's just a cue for his memory, like kind of, I like the idea of having like a little Lego map where mm-hmm. you got the flat pieces. Those are not walls. Or maybe that's the path mm-hmm. and you got the bumps and those are the walls. And, you know, he can kind of keep track of it. It's not good for on the fly, mm-hmm. but it feels like he's running into a challenge that I think a lot of GMs have. Just kind of making it up as you go. Mm-hmm. It's a problem a lot of people have. A lot of people either over for prayer mm-hmm. <laughs> and they have everything set up yeah. or you're sitting up there trying to pull stuff out of your butt. Okay, you go into the yeah. next room and uh, who didn't get a magic item? Okay, you're going to find. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think, and and I know I struggle with that all the time, especially when people are exploring through things. It's like, oh, we turn it around and go back out and you're like, what order did you go Okay, this. So I think, yeah, relax a little. It's okay to make mistakes and to not remember things exactly in the order they were in, regardless of and if how you, you're trying to use it. And if you don't, if you remember it wrong, magic happened and it's different now. <laughs> <laughs> or you, you can, it's their notes that are wrong, no, yeah. not you. <laughs> or you could be really, really like not mean, but just like, okay, you go back. What do you see? What do you see? What do you see? Oh, yeah, throw it on them. That's that, you didn't see that before. That yeah. you've turned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you've lost your way. You're yeah. in a different yeah. place now. Yeah. Oh, this yeah. is definitely not the way you came in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You thought this was a first level dungeon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. You fall down an acid pit. Don't you remember the acid pit? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Like some people in chat are suggesting like flow charts. Yeah. There's lots of different ways to organize that information. Somebody uh, mentioned a PowerPoint. Yeah. At which point you're putting your own like custom notes in. But I feel like like that's awesome. I love playing online mm-hmm. because like I feel like online gives you so many more tools than you have mm-hmm. at the table, especially when you're just like, I need to come up with something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at the table, 
<laughs> I actually really love the idea of of a PowerPoint. I missed yeah, that. That's somebody brilliant. Put that in chat. Yeah. That's yeah. Chat, you're brilliant. Chat is like, so yeah. <laughs> like oh, well, I probably use Google Slides because I use Google for everything. But yeah, having like each different slide be a different room. Mm-hmm. And if you're sharing screen or whatever, then you get to control when the next page is revealed to them. So you can actually plan the whole thing out with descriptions that you can type in. And then, you know, if you wanted to add pictures, you know, with alt descriptions or whatever, so that you also, you know, there are there, then you'd be able to kind of control that. Um, I don't know if PowerPoint is more accessible as a program. It, it's very possible. But uh, then, Google has slides, which is free. Yes, but I, I don't know which one's more accessible. I yeah, I haven't, I haven't looked, I haven't okay. used PowerPoint since like college. So I have zero idea of how accessible it is anymore. Right. So whichever one it, like is, you know, available and works better for you, that's a great way of kind of like, okay, revealing, okay, here's the next room. This is what you see. And or then if, if you have it sort of memorized or you have notes that are like, okay, if they go through the North door, yeah. I'm going to advance two slides. If they go through the South door, I'm only advancing one slide. Yeah. So you kind of remember where everything is that way. Yeah, that would be that'd be wild. And that's really kind of effective. I really kind of love that idea. Honestly, I might steal it for when I do online stuff for Starscape. Listen. Yeah. It's really, Google Slides is amazing. It's so good. I, li- I use it for everything. And literally, my almost my entire game has been made on it. Mm-hmm. So like my fancy character sheets and everything, they're just like a million different images, like all stacked together on Google Slides. <laughs> and then when you get your quick keys down, Mm-hmm. <laughs> Peek behind the curtain. Mm. All right. I will try to do justice for number two. Number two. Okay. Thank you so much, Eric, for one, for joining our community and also for writing in such a great email. Please write in more stuff because I think it's great for us to, as a designer, I mm-hmm. love reflecting on it, mm-hmm. but I think it's also great to have it talked about like really openly so that people can start thinking about these things and having these things in your pocket. Like, just from this conversation, there are things that I will do in the future differently right. with my students and at gaming to make things a little bit more accessible for everyone. So thank you. Indeed. Hello, happy peeps. Peep, peep. It's the odd one. Erica Odd writing again. This time, my email is a, on a serious topic. I know, out of character for me. But here it goes. I'm writing a Savage World setting called... For me. But here it goes. I'm writing a Savage World setting called Gravenstein Academy which is a boarding school for teenage monsters. Ah, yes. All that teenage angst and drama compounded by the fact that you've just learned how to use supernatural abilities too. Anyway, in this setting, monsters and magic are uncommon, but known to exist by the general public. Ghosts and werewolves are real, but not all, not at all common. And they have to go to school like everybody else. About 100 years ago, the so-called monsters came out of the shadows and revealed themselves to the world at large. Before then, monsters hunted humans and humans hunted monsters. The age-old story. So now we're in the present, and I want a source of conflict and drama in the setting to be that some humans and some monsters aren't happy with the new status quo. There are groups that still mistrust each other. This is where my question comes in. The above scenario brings some conflict, brings me some conflict myself. It can be construed as an allegory for certain disadvantaged people trying to find equity in the world, but that's not really my intention. The monsters in this setting are monsters, not allegories for extant groups or people. Like Tolkien, I want to put in a blurb about not looking for allegory beyond what the story gives you. But people don't ever listen to Tolkien. I didn't listen to Tolkien. (laughs) To this day, they make comparisons to his work and history. I guess it's human nature. I'm sorry, I'm trying not to editorialize. So how can I avoid accusation, for lack of a better word, of oppression tourism? of using this concept as a way of exploring the history and trauma of real people. Should I drop the subplot of mistrust between some humans and some monsters? What's the best option in situations like this? Sincerely, Erica Odd. I have thoughts. I don't have to be first. Oh, jump in here. I'm trying to moderate my tone. I think I'm working on a project around Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. And I think what makes the classics the classics is they constantly remark about present conditions because present conditions are typical conditions. And so I feel like people have always been oppressed throughout human history. If you added monsters and monsters then had to pay taxes, (laughs) monsters would be (laughs) oppressed too. So there's definitely a point where there's, there's absolutely grounds for monsters and humans being oppressed in games because in the real world, Humans and monsters are oppressed. We have heroes who go out and they save the world 
And sometimes they save the physical world, but often they save people being able to go to bed at night and sleep comfortably. The easiest thing to do in this is to have bad guys who are trying to disrupt things. And if those bad guys are black and white enough, then it feels like you're setting a tone for like what kind of game we're playing. If the bad guys are people who are trying to steal for food, then you're playing a very morally gray game. And if the bad guys are people who are trying to... (laughs) Exactly. And if if the bad guys are trying to imprison people and make them work for slave labor or whatever, then you're playing a game that also has very clear boundaries of like what this game's about. Don't run away from it. Lean into it. It's history. It's not disadvantaged peoples in a political sense when you look at the American landscape. Mm-hmm. Well, I also think that I don't think you're going to be able to escape it. I don't think no matter what you say or what you put in there, if there are people who are trying to oppose the way that things are and have this sort of oppression of the status quo of the monster kids in here, people are going to consider that an allegory for certain things. The, the, the same way that you said that they, didn't, they don't listen to Tolkien and everyone insists that it's his memoirs of World War I or things like that. It's the same reason like X-Men, the comic, speaks to every generation because every generation sees themselves as an outsider to something. Right. And even though in that it is sort of explicitly written to be allegories, but not, but with a lot more explosions and punching each other, but you're not going to be able to escape it. So if you're not going to be able to escape it, then you might just want to acknowledge it Mm -hmm. up front and say, hey, I didn't write this with any specific allegory in mind. I'm not trying to represent any one specific group. But if, as players, you feel that it it does represent that, great. Go ahead and, and tell those stories. Right. Yeah, I think, do you know, I know you've been working on this game for a while. I It's something I, I've struggled with while I'm writing games. Like, do some soul searching. What do you want to say with the game? Like, every game says something, even if you don't really want it to. You're like, hey, I just want cool monster high stuff. It's mm-hmm. like, no, there's like a heart to the game. When with Starscape, which I'm still working on right now, you know, I was like, oh, I'm going to write a fun Star Trek game. It'll be great. And then, like, I really started, like, unpacking that as I went through the process. I'm like, oh, why, after all these years, do I want to, I'm not really a sci-fi person. Like, why am I Mm -hmm. writing a sci-fi game? Oh, it's in a pandemic. And my game is centered on people being stuck in a small space together for (laughs) long periods of time and the relationships and the trust that happens between that. Look at that there. Huh weird how that happens Mm -hmm. so like first off start by really reflecting like what are you trying to say with this game what are you trying to let out of yourself by this game Mm -hmm. are you trying to get people to accept themselves by being you know and and the monsters that are inside them are you trying to have a message of nobody's a monster because everybody's a monster all these things there's so many things you can say with a setting like this first really reflect and settle on that Mm mm-hmm and because that's going to tell you what your game's going to be about. For example, Monster Hearts is very much like it knows what it is. Right. We are reliving the trauma of not belonging in high school and the uncomfortable, monstrous needs that happen as teenagers. And we are like cranking that up to like 15 volume wise. <laughs> but that's really what it is to explore because all the things in that game are things that normal human teenagers feel. Right. But when you really pull them into specific tropes and crank them up, like it becomes monstrous. And that's kind of, that's part of that game is recognizing a lot of times when the people I know who played that game, they play versions of themselves. Mm. Like how they remember high school, even if they don't mean to. (laughs) Almost everybody who plays that is like, oh, I really feel this playbook. And if they're really like, Yeah, I was kind of like this in high school. You're like, okay. (laughs) Um, So it's like, it's very much a way of kind of living and empowering yourself to go back and relive situations where you weren't empowered as a regular human teenager. So I would encourage you with this. that's why I don't want to ever play Monster Hearts. Yeah, (laughs) it's a little scary. Yeah, I don't know. So think about that because that's going to inform whether maybe... I don't know if oppression tourism is correct in this sense, because if you are making a game about exploring Mm -hmm. those, uh, exploring some type of trauma, if you're making a game about exploring some kind of persecution or bigotry, like that is a, an absolutely valid design choice. You need to be upfront about that. 
It shouldn't be something people learn as they play the game. It needs to be something that you're like explicitly state on the first page, like, hey, heads up, this is the point of this game. And lean into it and And, do it great. Yeah, and lean into it. And if you are making that clear and people are buying in and wanting to play that, that is different than what we dub oppression tourism. Right. Oppression tourism is where like you're playing a game that isn't about experiencing that necessarily. And someone like goes in like I was someone who's, you know, I'm I'm not a person of color. And I'm like, oh, I'm gonna play, I'm gonna go in this game that's about like fighting and I'm gonna be a black person. I'm gonna and oh I'm the, I'm gonna experience racism through right. that. Like that's oppression and, tourism. And I'm gonna be poor. Yeah. And, and my mom's gonna smoke crack. And I'm <laughs> yeah. gonna like be the <laughs> hardest done by person you've ever met. Yeah. And oh, and then well, yeah. Didn't I do good? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of what it is when you're you're putting on the facade of an experience, especially one that's actually lived by real people. Right. That you don't have experience yeah, with. And exactly. I, I so admission time, I was totally guilty of that, but the GM wasn't going to let that happen. Mm-hmm. And so that was sort of thwarted. If you ever want to go back into the archives, Max Wild West werewolf game, mm-hmm. uh, I very much designed a character that I was sort of looking at that oppression tourism and she basically shut that down which was very good yeah but yeah it's definitely not something that you kind of want to like looking back on that i go oh boy what a what a shithead i was but i mean uh, a couple years ago and it's something that we learn like because role-playing games are about experiencing new things yeah and it is natural for people who have not experienced a type of oppression to be kind of curious about it and it does sometimes take people knocking us upside the head and being like, uh, that's not appropriate to be mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, that that's not okay. I'm so sorry. Like, and you did that. So that's good. Yeah. So I think that there's a there's a difference there. There's legitimate ways to explore that. And then there's people who do it for other reasons where it's not necessarily written into the game. Right. And people can take your game and I call it playing in bad faith, but they can kind of they're going to do stuff with your game you don't want to know about. Mm-hmm. Like, just tell them to close the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think, like, Coyote and Crow is a really good example of this. Mm-hmm. It's a system that was designed for people to experience a very specific type of history. Like, this is a history without a colonial takeover in the Americas. So that's, and they've, like, explicitly written it for everyone to play. And there's very prescribed rules of like, hey, if you're not indigenous, these, the, here's your box, play in this box. You can still, we want you to play our game, mm-hmm. but here's your, you know, here are the rails that you get to, not rails as far as the story, but yeah, like but, how to make your right. character yeah. so that you're doing it in a respectful way. So I think having that built in to your game, if you're writing something that's personal from your personal perspective, then putting that in there, like, hey, I know there's games that are specifically about being queer, like. There's these sword lesbians, things mm-hmm. like that. They have, like, a lot of them have a specific guide. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, if you're not a lesbian, you can still play this game. Right, right, right. Like, here's the yeah. best way to go about it. So once you discover that heart of your game and what you want that experience to be, add in guides. Add in little rails for people who may not be of whatever or have experienced whatever it is you want people to explore or pull from your game so that they can access it in a way, because most people are going to want to, access your game respectfully. Mm-hmm. Like people do like ridiculous things or foolish things because they don't know better a lot of the time. But like in my experience, 80% of people who play TTRPGs want to do it well. A lot of them don't. <laughs> a lot of them are a little bit ignorant about how to do it well. But they, you know, most people come in good faith, even if they make bad choices. I also want to just encourage Erica to almost niche down and be very specific what the game is. Yeah. You know? Thirsty Swords Lesbians absolutely has lesbian themes, but it's about like there's a there, a flavor of the game is like, are we gonna fight or are we gonna make love? Mm-hmm. Um Passion de los Passiones yeah. is very much a, a game about I am going to either have you or make you look bad. And there are all of these games, like um, Masks has a lot of like opportunities where it's like. I'm going to make you feel something. Mm-hmm. I'm not just going to fight you. And I feel like in this high school, college milieu, you have an opportunity to play so many different games. Mm-hmm. There's a certain point where kind of you may not even need a combat mechanic. Mm-hmm. You may not. I mean, what is the game? Now, if it's just kind of 
humans and monsters in school that absolutely could involve fighting. Mm-hmm. But that may not be the the real thrust of what you're trying to do. Yeah, it could be monsters trying to to pass in a human society, which can have so, like, depending on who, what your identity is, can have so many layers mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. You know, things like that. It could be self-discovery, like I mentioned earlier. Yeah. There's, like, so many things. Like, I wouldn't shy away from allegory, like, right off the bat, because allegory is bad. Because allegory isn't bad, necessarily. It's not inherently bad. It can be used incorrectly or in an obtuse way that offends people. But, I mean, almost everything is allegory for something. Right. In my game, spaceships are an allegory for COVID. So, ta-da! <laughs> and, like, there's oppression. Please still play. It's still going to be fun. I promise it's very fun. <laughs> there's oppression in Les Mis. Yeah. There's oppression in, like, stories about ancient Egypt. There, There's oppression in Rome. There's oppression, like, all over the place. And it's not, like, it. hopefully that's an encouragement to, like, open it up. Mm-hmm. You can make it specific, but it doesn't have to be specific. And Yes, yeah, I disagree. Like, I mean, not necessarily, but like with everything, like it kind of depends. But I find specifically like PBTA games and a lot of indie games, Mm -hmm. like the ones that really sing and the ones that really tend to kind of bust out on the scene are the ones that have like a really true core. Right. And whether everyone like plays it for that reason or not, like they are specifically bringing something from the heart or a very specific experience from the design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a very few like, oh, hey, I wrote a generic fantasy setting right. that like bust out, you know, on the scene because there's a lot of that already. And I think like having a really strong individual point of view for a game, while it makes it may not be something for everyone, but that core group, it's going to be their favorite game. I guess my point was to say that oppression isn't racialized. Yes. No, that, absolutely. That, that was kind of my point. You can absolutely make it a monster human thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a po- politics game. They were t- she was mentioned that there are bad factions on both sides. So, like maybe there's like a faction mechanic mm-hmm. at play, and like there's a swing of power somehow. Yeah, well, yeah. especially like we all had cliques in high school. Like, mm-hmm. and maybe yours are just the monsters. Like, oh, the werewolves are mm-hmm. you know this, and then the mermaids are like the cool swim team people who like are bossy and like. I have trauma from some team, sorry. But <laughs> <laughs> so like there's so many different ways you can go with it. Right. And yeah, I, I just like lean into that before you worry about like oppression tourism, figure out what your game is saying. Because once you find that voice, it'll be easier to then design in a direction to avoid people using it incorrectly. You won't be able to ever design for everybody to use it incorrectly. But like for an example for Starscape, like I wanted it to be more about relationships, but I still wanted there to be a fighting mechanic because who wants to be on star trek if you can't do the weird away missions where you like shoot with the or get in a roll fight on vasquez rocks with with two hands a a, a guy in a rubber (laughs) lizard suit whatever it is so like i have like at on my the move sheet pbta has move sheets at the very bottom is force is necessary Mm -hmm. and i took a long time to name that move because i didn't want it just to be fight because i wanted force is necessary right from that very name, it's like, hey, when it's necessary, like it shouldn't be your first go-to thing. Right. So, and so you can design with a very specific outcome in mind, but first you need to know where you're going. So I don't know. That's kind of my advice, Erica. And you may already know that. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure you do. Erica's in the chat. And I met Erica at Strategic Con. Hi, Erica. I don't know if you remember me, but uh, she's uh, saying that she's saying becoming is a classic characters take mm-hmm. and like i would love to talk offline about game design and crunch and all that stuff but i like i think it's totally could be cool for mm-hmm. you like you to just to like be in a high school situation and like you get your power move when you learn how to be confident you know what i mean and it's just like i don't know but maybe I'm, that was my high school experience <laughs> but it was just like there were the posers and all these people and it's like some folks found their their zen mm. and it's like, hey, you're singing now. Yeah. Look at that. And now you're mad. And- <laughs> <laughs> you made me think about when you were talking about uh, oppression all over everywhere. It made me start thinking like, oh, maybe I need to write a game about what it was like for the average Jew during the plagues of Egypt. <laughs> right. Like you never right. hear that. Like, I'm just trying to go to work and now there are frogs in my yep, way. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> 
Oh, man. That, listen, let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Very good. Thank you, Erica, for another amazing question. And I know you've been, I know you've been using the game design section of the Discord, but uh, we can chat more there. And all right. Last email. Hey, Kimmy and the wonderful Happy Jacks crew. Your pal Rose here to pay her (laughs) to pay her podcast tithe with another RPG related question. This one is a two parter. One, in the games you like, what are the rules or mechanics you forget to use the most? For me, I always forget the team moves in Masks A New Generation. They're a neat little mechanic, but because they're so specific to each playbook, they just immediately fall out of my mind the minute I'm not looking at them. Two, what rules do you actively ignore? This could be due to unnecessary complication, too much bookkeeping, etc. Again, using Masks as my example because it rent-free in my head, I don't like playing mechanics that interrupt the flow of the story. So things like rolling for the Janice's obligations or shifting the brain's labels if they haven't tried to make amends for their shame, those two just get thrown in the bit. Until next time, may your games be plentiful and your die rolls be interesting. Interesting. This is a very good question. Yeah. So for two, because what immediately springs to mind is rules I actively ignore are weight considerations. Mm-hmm. I, I, encumbrance. Yeah, encumbrance is just something that pretty much gets tossed by the wayside unless someone tells me they're going to do something truly ridiculous. You're not going to carry 12 battle axes. But like, other than that, I'm not, I'm not checking out what's in your bag. I'm not making you move slower because you're encumbered just because it's not very fun. Now, one day I do actually want to play a full bullets and beans where everything's accounted for Oof. and you have to like make hard choices that way. But 99% of the time, screw it. It's not worth the, the bookkeeping. Right. For mine, like I, I mean, I guess this is actively. So I guess it's skipping to number two. So I'll hold on a second. Um, oh, I went to number two. You went to number went two right away? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's also like mechanics you forget. I always skip like reagents, almost always. Oh, Re- yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or like regents, like like when you have to cast spells and you have like the supplies. Oh, yeah, yeah. spider web and yeah, it's like no, that's bullshit. Yeah, unless it's like like a cantrip specific mm-hmm. thing. And I mean, I've only ever run a handful of games that I would use that anyway, and I've never run them for very long. Then that would be like the only thing that I don't know might maybe have me do it. Like I know there's a cantrip thing in demigods now. I probably wouldn't throw that out because I think. <laughs> I haven't seen it in action yet because it's kind of a newer piece and we haven't done it in our AP yet. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Jason's going to have a very like a cantrip thing I can hang with. <laughs> uh, you know what? As you guys say it, I ignore those two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 I went, oh yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah, that's you know exactly that, yeah. what you're talking about. I have to confess, I have been playing, my new play style is so much more based on fun. Mm-hmm. I am the person who <clears throat> sometimes get called out in the middle of a game that's totally working and everybody's laughing and having a good time and like going and somebody might say like that was totally cool but that's actually not in the rule book <laughs> you yeah. know and it's just like um, sometimes rules get skimmed and oh it's mm-hmm. like i i the get rule a little book can be whatever i wish it to be right i get a little cocky and i'm like <laughs> okay i got this let's go play <laughs> I'm going to do a major confession, which probably won't be surprising to anybody who watches APs. I do so bad in PBTA with, well, and now all other games. Like, I have this weird amalgamation in my head of PBTA and all other RPGs when it comes to combats. Uh, like, when I'm when I'm running PBTA combats, like, I'll suddenly realize, like, I'm doing a thing for every person. Like, oh, yeah, okay, you get shot. And then I'm like, shit, I just use, like, four hard moves. It's fine. It's cool. Nobody noticed. It's fine. It's good. <laughs> or... When I'm doing like specifically one ring combat every once in a while, like someone will do something and I'll immediately want to do something. So I'm like, oh, and the bad guy. And they're like, not the bad guy's turn yet. Uh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Okay. Well, wait. <laughs> so it's just like, I just need those reminders too. Part of it's like my ADHD, but part of it's like just the habit mm-hmm. of like a thing happens. So something else happens. Mm-hmm. And it's like, nope, you hit. Good job. Next person. It's like, that's such a weird f- vibe for me now. It's so like, it's yeah. Like when you get off the freeway and you're like, I'm not driving fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. yeah, I look at in the PBTA games, I feel like a lot of the playbooks have lots of have lots of material mm-hmm. to kind of yeah. gussy up the game and make it interesting and make the characters distinctive. And the more characters, more players you have in the game, the less 
you really get to use a yeah. lot of those bits and bobs. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's, and the playbooks each have their own super unique flavor in mm-hmm. a well-designed PBTA game. And sometimes if you have too many people, none of that flavor, that, I think you're, what you're saying is like that flavor doesn't come out. Yeah. And it's so easy sometimes for the playbooks, for certain playbooks to take over. Right. That like, if you, someone picks a little bit more subtle playbook, even if they're, it's just as well written, it's like hard yeah. for them to have moments yeah. to shine. Well, as a GM, if I'm not fluent in mm-hmm. most PBTA playbooks, and when people actually read their playbooks, they kind of almost have more fun at the game. They do. And like, if somebody's too quiet, I'm like, what What are you supposed to do? Yeah. Like, how do you, spo- you do are you a hammer? How are you supposed to solve problems? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think that's one of the interesting design differences from more traditional games. And I don't want to get mm-hmm. into what, like, traditional versus mm-hmm. India or whatever. Like, <laughs> that's that. not the argument I want. This. Yeah. But, like, games like One Ring and games like D&D and right. Wild Talents and Savage Worlds. A lot of those are based on making everyone's players even. Mm-hmm. And different, like, different abilities, different kind of backgrounds and things like that. but ostensibly equal like you have certain points you can spend or however you build your character you get a certain number of whatevers so that everyone has a chance to be equally powerful and equally important and i think a lot of like newer games are kind of leaning away from that and leaning more into playbooks being incredibly unique even if Mm -hmm. they're kind of off powered Mm -hmm. because then in other situations they're not as off powered and things like that so i think that's an interesting thing people are playing with nowadays it's almost like you should go over here to get your spotlight. Mm-hmm. And you should go over here to get your spotlight. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, and it's easy to not read those. And then if the GM is responsible for your fun. Yeah, oh, it's a nightmare. Yeah, when it used to be more like, okay, is everybody effective in combat? Right, Does everybody have a thing they can do when you're fighting? Okay, okay, you're even. Everything's fine. So, but... <laughs> to, to go back to the first question... Uh, to actually what, the what, email? What are the rules or mechanics you forget the most often? So first off, I'm going to say, I don't know because I forget them. But on a a more serious note, things that I tend to forget are like situational bonuses, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like taking cover or adding plus one because we're standing in a puddle of water or like little things like that that just don't, they're so incidental to my character and what I'm trying to play. They just don't pop out in my head, even though obviously they'd be mechanically good for me. That's the thing that I think I miss the most. For sure. All right. I think that's everything, right? Mm. All right. Very good. I feel like I came. I saw. I did the thing. <laughs> I missed this place. Yes. And I, can I, I want to um, visit the bathroom. I hear there's a bathroom. Not yet. Not yet. Oh. And that's with all the there's pipe in. Yeah. <laughs> I'll hold it then. There's, I mean, you can, there's still the I'm regular kidding, I'm kidding. But the, yeah, for those of you, we've been using the Patreon money. Surprise. We, I was going to wait till that we could post pictures of a finished bathroom. We've been using the Patreon money. You mentioned it the last couple of weeks. Did I? Okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, we've been using the Patreon money to make the bathroom wheelchair accessible, which has been great, but it's still got some pipes and stuff that need to be fixed. So, but that's very, very exciting for the studio. So thank you, Patreons. You're amazing. So, speaking yes. of accessibility, by the way. Yeah, speaking of accessibility. Yeah. It's one of those things that's very exciting because my house was built a long time ago and like there's stairs and stuff that like we've had to change stuff. So yeah, it's good. It's very exciting. So thank you. All right. And it's St. Patrick's Day. How brave am I going to be? Am I going to be brave? Yes. Okay. So. Are you going to sing for us? I was going to. Yay! <laughs> Someone told me I should. I'm going to take these off so I can. So, like, raise our glasses for St. Patrick's Day. Can I hold a glass? <clears throat> there you go. So it's a That's why I have very to sad it. toast. <laughs> of all the money, the tear I had. I spent it in good company, and all the wrong, the tear I done, alas, it was to none but me. But all I've done, for want of wit, to memory now, I can't recall. So fill to me. The parting glass. Good night and joy be to you all. Huzzah. Happy Day. Happy Day. Wow. Oh, I'm out of practice. <laughs> so, thank you for joining us for season 31, episode 20 of the Happy Jacks RPG podcast. Woo. Please support our amazing indie designer of the month. 
Ashy Feet Games, ashyfeet.com. Thank you to our chat mod, James B, and to our amazing Patreons who keep us ad-free and independent. All the money that we get from our Patreons goes to making our studio and our product better and more accessible for everyone to come play games here. None of us get paid. We all do this willingly for free because we love doing it. And we think it's important to have a channel out there that's people doing it because they love it. <laughs> like, it's great to have people get paid. They should absolutely do that. But I also think it's important to have like a real channel with real friends who are just playing games because they really want to do it together. So yeah, thank you. If you want to join their amazing ranks, go to happyjacks.org slash Patreon. There are rewards. I'm a very busy person. I sometimes get behind on them. I'm sorry, but we love you all. And uh, so yeah, my name is Kimmy. I'm Nick. I'm Mo. And we are going to leave you with a song today. We're going to leave you with Oh Danny Boy by the Merry Wives of Windsor. You listen, you can hear me singing alto, but you all just heard me sing a second ago, kind of okay. So that was good. All right, I'm embarrassed. So we're going to go now. Goodbye. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Bye. Bye. Oh, Danny boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling From glen to glen and down the mountains and The summer's gone and all the flowers are falling Tis you, tis you show is a product of the Happy Jacks RPG Network. The Mary Sue's performed our intro music, and our ending song is played with the express permission of the artist. Visit happyjacks.org for more information and to find all our streams and podcasts.